Good morning, sloggy kiddos. At least it's good morning for your daddy. It is mommy's birthday. <coughs> Excuse me. By this time, you will have given her many hugs and smooches and told her happy birthday and maybe even sang happy birthday to her. So, thank you. And we will do something fun together as a family when I get home. That is for sure. So, Auntie Candace's birthday, Pi Day, and then Mommy's birthday is just that super cool trifecta combination that we have every middle of March. And now that we live in Anchorage, it's even cooler. Okay, well, I don't have too much time. So I'm going to read James chapter 4. And it's not a long chapter. And I'll try not to stop too much. We can always come back another time. You guys will read all of these books way more than one time. Um... And each time you read it, you'll learn something new. The Holy Spirit will teach you something new about, about God's Word. So, let's just read James chapter 4, and I'll catch you with some Louder King this evening. Alright, I'm reading from my ESV, my ESV Bible. What you're reading from might sound a tiny different in a couple places. That's totally fine. There's two main subjects, headings. The first one is called Warning Against Worldliness. And the last one is called Boasting About Tomorrow. Do you guys know what worldliness is? As you get older, you'll come to, you'll understand that the world or just society or groups of people or whatever has certain standards has certain ways that everybody acts and dresses and looks and thinks kind of the same way um, sometimes it's uh, not bad other times it is kind of bad um, but when you allow yourself to be conformed to the ways of the world that's that's not good. Um, we should always be trying to look like Jesus and act like Jesus and follow God's commandments and not what the world would tell us to do. The world might say, you must have this sort of haircut and you must drive a fancy car and you must have an Apple 12 Pro smartphone and post to Instagram daily where God might say, well, you know, whatever about that stuff, there's just a lot better priorities out there that I want you to focus on. And Mr. Irvin and uh, Miss Joanna Byler, the Amish people, their whole community and 
and society goes out of their way to not appear to be worldly. As Amish people, Lily and Gideon, you have seen them and met them and understand that a lot better than the other kids, but they make it a point to not appear to be worldly or look like the rest of the world. Okay, I'm talking too much. I'm going to just read here. James chapter 4, verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have, because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive, because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Okay, next subject heading, boasting about tomorrow. Verse 13. Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. And that's the end of chapter 4. Alright, short chapter, but a ton of... a ton of guidance in there and New Testament commands and just really 
powerful reminders, this is one we should come back to because there's so much here. You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. That's uh, verses, the end of verse 2 and all of verse 3 in chapter 4. So God says, ask, and don't go without asking. Don't fight and quarrel over things. Ask Him for things. But He says, ask rightly and not to spend it on your passions. And some people's translation, translations say lust. Don't ask out of lust. And what else? God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit yourselves Therefore, to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. These are ones you guys, are, these are great memory verses. I'll have to get with mommy and give you guys some, some really good memory verses out of these because this is just a very rich chapter. Verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. All right. I love you, kiddos. I will catch you later for some Water King. All right, kiddos, I am back. It is 7.30 in the evening. And we're going to read Chapter 18 of the Wilder King Trilogy. Um, Where were we? That was kind of a cool Chapter 17 where Dobro and Aiden are going into Tambluff and they have a really intense reunion with South Porter and South Porter first covers for him pretends there's somebody else to not arise suspicion and then he finds out that they are in fact training an army in the sinking canyons and he almost turns him in he's got his hand on the bell rope to sound the alarm when Aiden convinces him that he is still loyal to King Darrow and that he is not a traitor um, and then they find some more out about Starin Starin is supposedly off looking for Aiden but he's been away three weeks and um they're wondering what Starin's really up to. And then they give a message to Linwood, this guy who is supposedly... Who's Linwood? He's the guy who's like head of the committee to raise Aiden to the Wilder King, Ascendancy of the Wilder King or whatever title he gave himself but they get a message back from Linwood saying yeah come over for dinner and we will talk so South Porter sneaks him out of the guard shack takes them to the corner nearest to Linwood's house and they tumbled out of the back of the cart and South Porter rolled on without a backward look or a wave chapter 18 is called Linwood's House. 
Try to blend in, Aiden whispered as they mounted the marble steps to Linwood's house. Somehow, he knew Dobro wouldn't blend in. They were in the finest neighborhood in all of Tambluff. A gleaming carriage rattled by, pulled by a horse whose carefully groomed flanks shone in the afternoon sun. Linwood's massive front door was polished walnut. The brass of its great alligator-head knocker was so bright, Aiden hated to touch it at all. Everything's so shiny, Dobro marveled. The servant who answered Linwood's door was dressed as finely as a Perthan lord, in tailored silks and white hose and gold buckles on his shoes. Dobro whistled when he saw him and nudged Aiden. Even the folks is shiny. The man hurried the two dusty travelers into the entry hall, peering out into the street to see if anyone had noticed them. Follow me, gentlemen. There was a, that tiny pause, barely perceptible, before he ha had said the word gentleman. Eby used to do the same thing when ushering people he considered to be beneath the dignity of Errol's house. Dobro, of course, didn't notice. The servant led them through wide arches, past great banks of windows, substantial fireplaces, gracefully appointed furniture, huge portraits in heavy frames, a suit of armor standing in a corner. Finely dressed servants swished through, turning around to stare at the strangers after they had passed. What's your name? Dober asked the back of the asked the back of the servant. The servant made no quite not quite a quarter turn in Dobro's direction without slacking his pace. I'm the butler, he said in a tone meant to convey that in his line of work he didn't ask personal questions and shouldn't be expected to answer any. Butler, said Dobro. That's a nice name. I'm Dobro, and this here's Aiden. The butler didn't react to Dobro's introductions. He opened a pair of very tall, narrow doors and gestured Aiden and Dobro into a high-ceilinged, airy room. A bearded man, probably in his fifties, his wife, and four beautiful young women, their daughters, oh, their daughters, all rose from richly embroidered chairs. Linwood directed the butler from the room with an elegant nod, and when the servant had glided noiselessly away, he beamed an ingratiating smile at Aiden and bowed deeply. Aiden Harrelson, he said, I am honored to have you in my home. Aiden popped a quick bow, but his social graces were still rusty. We're pleased to be here, Aiden said, not altogether convincingly. In the Fiji Fen and Sinking Canyons, he had abandoned the habit of saying things he didn't mean. This is my very good friend, Dobro Turtlebane. Linwood and his family, turning their attention to Dobro for the first time, all opened.
opened their eyes a little wider, realizing at once that the rumors of Aiden consorting with Fiji's were surely true. But they managed to maintain their composure. Dobro gave a close-lipped little smile. He remembered what Aiden had said about civilizer ladies not wanting to see his teeth. He tipped over in a bow that was even less graceful than Aiden's. Dobro was truly awestruck in the presence of these five women, the mother no less than the daughters. The grandeur of the house had made but little impression on him. But these civilizer ladies, Dober had no idea such exquisite creatures even existed. My wife, Lenora, Dober could hear Linwood saying through a buzzing in his ears, daughters, Ani, Lilla, Jewel, and Sadie. Their curling hair was swept into carefully arranged piles high atop their heads. Except for the youngest daughter, Sadie, was it? Her hair had already begun to unpile in several unruly tendrils down her neck and in front of her face. Such faces. The mother and three of the daughters were as white as boar tusks, as if they had never seen the sunshine. But that youngest girl, yes, it was Sadie, her face was brown, or pink really, especially at the end, on the end of her nose and on her cheeks. She looked as if she had soaked up the sun and was now shining it back on everyone who looked at her. No wonder these girls preferred not to cover their faces in swamp mud. And their arms were as long and thin and graceful as a crany crow's neck. Except for Sadie, who seemed to divide her attention equally between the two visitors, the women were all gazing at Aiden with undisguised admiration. Linwood said something about an honor and a privilege. Whatever he was saying, Dobro couldn't make any sense of it. He felt the same way at the Battle of Bear House, after he had been conked on the head. He could see that talking was happening, he could even hear most of the words, but he couldn't make them make sense. He was that taken with the four Linwood daughters. Then Sadie stuck her tongue out at him and it brought him back around like a splash of water in his face. Retire to the dining room. Linwood was saying as he shepherded the group across the hall toward the dining room. Elaborately carved chairs surrounded a table set with blown glass tumblers and six or seven pieces of silver per place setting. Linwood put Aiden near the head of the table in the place of honor beside his own right hand. Dobro got the second spot of honor the foot of the table directly across from Linwood, which meant he was surrounded by Linwood's daughters, much to the young lady's disappointment. While the servants brought out the first course, a soup of river perch, Lenora got the conversation started with small talk. How was Aiden and Dobro's trip? 
Wasn't this weather unusual for August? How long did they plan to stay in Tamblov? Aidan answered each question politely, but with as, as little elaboration as possible. Dobro, meanwhile, was working on his soup and working rather hard. He held his spoon handle in his fist as if it were the half of a spear and jabbed it beneath the pieces of fish that bobbed in his fine white clay bowl. Then he brought the spoon to his mouth, palm up, slurped the soup loudly, and smacked with satisfaction before plunging the spoon in for another go at it. The small talker on the table stopped as Linwood and his family stared in horror and confusion at the most outlandish dinner at this most outlandish dinner guest. Enraptured by the soup, Dobro didn't notice he had become the center of the room's attention. Sadie was the first person to speak. She leaned back in her chair, the better to take in her wild and smelly young to take in the wild and smelly young man in the chair beside her, and she said to Dobro what her parents and sisters were saying silently. Are you some kind of Fiji or something? Dobro jerked his head back, amazed at the girl's perceptiveness. Well, ain't you the clever one, he said with an admiring smile. There ain't no hiding the truth from you, is there? He was quickly mastering his shyness. I like that, Nagal. He winked at Sadie. She blushed and looked down at her soup, twirling a ringlet around a finger. I can't lie to a pretty civilizer gal like you, Dobro said. That will go against the Fiji code. I am a Fiji, but my dress and manners done got so refined, most folks take me for a civilizer. He arched the left half of his one long eyebrow and graced the room with a look meant to convey great sophistication. The effect, such as it was, was ruined by a sneeze that came on him as suddenly as a sparrowhawk. He was not accustomed to the ground black pepper served at civilizer tables. Dobro grabbed the corner of the tablecloth and blew his nose into it with a great trumpeting. He gave Sadie a broad wink. Like that right there. Time was I'd wipe my nose on the back of my hand. He pantomimed, raking his nose from his knuckles nearly to his elbow. But now I've taken to blowing it in a cloth, just like a civilizer. Dobro mistook the shocked silence for rapt attention, and it emboldened him to keep talking. It's the little things that makes a feller blend in, ain't it? He slurped up another spoonful of soup. And if there's one thing a Fiji knows about, it's blending in. I remember one time I was cooling off in a seep hole and I was blended in so good an alligator nearby stepped on me. His bashfulness was completely gone by now. A little bashfulness would have done him some good. This here alligator just noozled up beside me. I was so blended in, you see, that he thought he was by his lonesome. I raised up and frammed him in the snout. With that, 
He put his two fists together like a club and crashed them down on the table, causing plates, bowls, silver, and blown glass tumblers to leap an inch off the planks of the tabletop. A roll tumbled off the table and circled around Aiden's feet. The crash and the reproachful looks from the ladies were enough to abash Dobro at last. His face pinkened with embarrassment, and he returned his full attention to his soup. He didn't even notice the look of admiration, the look of admiration that beamed from Sadie's face. Linwood thought it best to get down to business before Dobro got started again. He turned toward his wife. The hope of Cornwall is seated at our very table, Lenora. Can you believe it? Lenora beamed a charming smile at Aiden. We so long for your return from the Fiji Fen, Aiden, for the fulfillment of the prophecy. We were beside ourselves with joy when we heard you were back on this side of the river. I hope you will forgive my eagerness to move things along, Aiden, said Linwood. What with the local committees and the Aiden Knight militias and the posters on the trees, we figure there's no point putting off the inevitable. No, the foreordained, is there? That's actually what I came to speak with you about, Aiden began, but Linwood cut him off. Three thousand men at your disposal, Aiden. What does that kind of power feel like? Now, wait a minute, Aiden tried to interrupt, but Linwood pressed on. I love to give good gifts, as my darling Lenora and my daughters can attest. Lenora and the girls eagerly nodded their heads, except Sadie, who blew a stray wisp of hair out of her eyes. And I have been waiting years to give that gift to the Wilder King, a whole army of loyal men willing to fight to the death for you against. He reined himself in against tyranny. He grinned a sly, knowing grin. So, what do you say our next steps are, Aiden? At last he paused to give Aiden a chance to speak. Aiden's eyes narrowed as he prepared to speak. I did not come here to scheme with you, he said firmly but quietly. I want no part of your conspiracy against the anointed king. A look of confusion overspread Linwood's face. Aiden pressed on. You have sent me an army, and I thank you for it. I will lead them, but I won't lead them against King Darrow. Linwood's brow was knitted with perplexity. He had prepared for many possibilities, but never this one. It had never occurred to him the Wilder King might not welcome his efforts on his behalf. Not lead our army against King Darrow, he said. Why do you think I gave them to you? I know full well why you gave them to me, Linwood, Aiden answered. But I wouldn't shed Cornwalder blood for the sake of my ambition or for the sake of yours. Lenora broke in. But Aiden, 
Surely you know yourself to be the wilder king of ancient prophecy. What about the panther you slew with a stone? What about the Perthan giant? What about the Fiji folk? You have to believe you're the wilder king. She paused, her confidence slipping. Don't you believe it? I believe the living God raises kings and brings them down, Aidan answered. I believe we don't have to force ourselves on the ancient prophecies. I believe a traitor is no fit king. He turned his gaze to Linwood. If you want to follow me, Linwood, then follow me. But don't try to lead me like a bull with a nose ring, and all the while pretend you're following me. Linwood looked down at his knuckles, the expression on his face shifting from disappointment to embarrassment to something more like anger. Another awkward silence descended on the room. It was broken this time by loud sucking noises at the far end of the table, where Dobro was picking his teeth with his fork. Linwood exploded in an outburst of irritability. Could someone do something with that infernal heathen? He pointed at Dobro with all. You at least have the decency to act like a human being at my table. Linwood, don't you understand? Said Aiden. When the Wilder King comes... He won't be coming to bring you more of this. He gestured around at the finery of Linwood's house. He's probably going to bring you a little more of that. He pointed at Dobro, who was moping after Linwood's rebuke. Lenora gasped. Squeaked, really. Think about it, Aiden continued. Leading his troops of wild men and brutes. Are you sure that's what you want? A bunch of wild feechies running loose in Cornwall? That's what the Wilder King will bring with him. Feechies free to leave their forest haunts and live among the rest of us, if that's what they want to do. Aiden chuckled. If you're backing me for king, you need to know that's what you're backing. Linwood grew pale behind his beard. Lenora was fanning herself with quick, choppy strokes. And three of the sisters' faces were contorted into expressions of undisguised contempt for the Fiji at their table. But Sadie's eyes twinkled at the prospect of Fiji folk in Tambluff. From the hallway came the sound of a mailed fist pounding on the front door. A gruff and threatening voice penetrated the thick walnut. Open up! In the name of King Darrow, open up! Okay, kiddos, that's the end of chapter 18. Love you very much. I'll be praying for you. Have a good night.